0: How many glasses half full people we got in here? few? Does that mean we got that many glasses half empty people? That would explain a few things. <laughs> or do we just have a whole room full of realists that it's 50%? You know, I'm not an optimist. I'm not a pessimist. I'm just a realist. It's 50%. It's half full. Well, a lot of times I think we confuse optimism in the sense of, you know, half full, half empty, with biblical hope. And we feel like if we get discouraged at all, really, this thing was working earlier. There it goes. We're going to have a, we're going to have it out this week with this thing if it does it again. And so uh, a lot of times it is falling off. What is this thing's problem? (laughs) Can we get that other one? I'm I'm just going to use the other one. All morning I've walked around with this thing on and it worked perfectly. And I start preaching and it starts falling off. It did it last week too. Okay, we'll go. We're going to try it. It feels good. So a lot of times I think we confuse optimism, like just you know, glasses half full with biblical hope, with the idea that if I don't feel good about you know where things are, if I don't feel you know, chipper and up and, and that this is all gonna be okay all the time, that somehow I've you know I'm not walking in faith. But we've seen with Paul that that's that's really not the case. Uh he, He himself got discouraged. He himself said that he despaired even of life. He himself experienced a ministry that he had to walk away from because he was so concerned about Corinth that he couldn't enjoy the success that he was having in another city. And and so what we're going to look at today and where Paul starts to go in 2 Corinthians is the fact that he has a ministry that is based not on his feelings, not on his qualifications, but is based entirely on the mercy of God. And that is what we're going to call the light of hope. You see, the, the glass is half full or glasses half empty idea that, that this is, you know, biblical hope. We can look at it and say it's one or the other. We can say it's half full. We can say it's half empty. But biblical hope would look at that same glass and say, whatever it is, I'm going to be okay because God is in control of this. And there's a whole different way of looking at the world in those moments because if I genuinely believe God is going to take care of my needs and I believe God is in ultimate control, it doesn't mean that there's not going to be difficulty now, but if I really in my heart have it settled that, you know what, whatever happens in the end is going to work out how God wants it to work out, then I'm not going to worry about whether it's half full or half empty. I'm going to say thank you, God, for the glass of water. And that's exactly kind of where Paul landed and how he's able to continue in ministry after such, you know, amazingly difficult seasons. Because he knows it's not by his strength that he succeeds. It's not by his qualifications that the ministry continues. It's not about him. It's about God. And if God wants it to continue, it'll continue. And so, look with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1-6. through the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now the first thing that Paul really he wants us to see in this and he wants us to understand is that we serve God by the mercy of God. This is such a freeing truth that that all of us in our Christian lives to understand we don't do anything for God under our own power. God does not call us to do anything on our own, you know, based on our ability, anything we do of eternal value is done by the grace and mercy of God. Now that should be like a huge sigh of relief for everybody. You know, have you ever gotten a job at work that maybe you were like, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I'm up to the task. It causes anxiety. You start to worry. You start to think about it. Well, when, when God says things like, hey, go preach the gospel to all nations, all of us should in a moment go, um, yeah, about that God. Everybody, I mean everyone, that's what you want. But what did Jesus t- tell us? He also said, I want you to preach the gospel to all nations. He says, go make disciples of all nations. But then he says and I'll be with you to the end of the age. You see, he qualified it that it's not just about our ability to do this, but it's about His presence. And so what does Paul say? He he says, therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. He says, my whole ministry is about the mercy of God. I'm telling you about the mercy of God. I'm experiencing the mercy of God. And because of that, I do not lose heart. So this microphone, I may burn it. Yeah, we we got the other one coming. This is the head vice. This is the one that gives you a migraine by the end of the sermon. <laughs> so y'all yeah, hold on one second. Check. you got it. Nope. I am hooked in. Check, check, check. We have nothing. See Satan lives in technology. I genuinely believe this. So yeah, we're going to do a handheld. All right. Where were we? So, most things we do in this world, we start with our own ability. I mean, that's where we start. I mean, anything, you, you know, you're going to start something, you start by considering, do I have the ability to do this? Is this something I can do? Is this something within my power? And that's a natural place to start. I mean, I you know, I don't want to go try to do brain surgery on somebody cuz I am not qualified. And, and so we look at our own abilities to start. And it's obvious, but in the kingdom of God, that is not where things start. In the kingdom of God, things start with God is able. This is about God's will. This is about his kingdom. This is about the gospel. This is about his mercy. This is about everything he is going to do. And so the mercy of God, I want you to look at it like this, provides the space where we can do the things He has called us to do. So God has a habit of asking people to do things outside of their ability. You ever notice that? Why would He call Paul, who was a very observant Jew, okay, he excelled above other Jewish people of his time, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, he he loved the law, and then he says, hey, you you who have spent your life perfecting Jewish law and being you know, this, this high-powered person in, in Jewish society, go be the apostle to the Gentiles. Doesn't that sound like God? I know you think you're this person, but I'm going to use you this way. That's who you're going to be. And the identity, I mean, it's, God doesn't change his mind. And so Paul had a decision to make because he's like, Okay, this is who I've been. Now, what does he eventually say to that? He says, everything that I once thought was gain, I now count as loss. I now count as loss. It's over. It's gone. It doesn't matter anymore. But God has a habit of calling us in ways that are contrary to what we believe our natural abilities are. Now, why does he do that? Because he wants the glory. He wants us to say at the end of it, I know there's no way I could have done that. That was all God's doing. That was all about Him. That was all His work. I was just a vessel. And Paul says that very same thing. He says, by the mercy of God, therefore having this ministry, by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. Now, did Paul have reasons to lose heart? Absolutely. Okay, he had a lot of reasons to lose heart. I mean, this is a man who literally was run out of almost every city that he went into, uh, even places where where things were going really well. Uh, okay, and, and, and people are coming to Christ, and the church is growing, and it's peaceful. People are searching the Scriptures to find out whether his message is true. I mean, everything's working. There were people from other towns that hated him so much they'd come over and stir up trouble. And you'd think Paul would be like, can I go anywhere and just just have this work? Do I always have to run into these people that hate me so much and they they just oppose everything that I do? But you know what? He knew that that's how it was going to work. And he says it's because of the mercy of God in his own life that he didn't lose heart that he knew the kingdom of God was advancing, the kingdom of God was working. And so he uses this phrase, we do not lose heart. And and to lose heart is to become discouraged to the point of losing hope. And losing hope means that you, you, you no longer believe in any way that something good can come out of it. You're overwhelmed by the moment You're overwhelmed by the circumstances, and and you just don't see a path forward. Now, did Paul ever lose hope in life? Absolutely. He did once. He even said that. He despaired of life like he thought, this is it. It's over. Until it wasn't over, and God brought him through it, and he realized, you know what? I'm not going to allow myself to get that low ever again, because if God rescued me from that, he can rescue me from anything. Now, this is a man who had been shipwrecked and was out in the ocean for three days in despair of life. He thought, this is it. I'm going to die. I'm going to drown out here in the ocean. That's it. This is also a man who went into a city, preached the gospel. They stoned him to death, dragged him outside the city, left him for dead. The disciples gathered around and prayed. God raised him back up, and Paul immediately went back into the city and said, hey, look, I'm back. Y'all are going to have to do better. Paul understood something, and he he really did. He had all of these moments that he's like, he could just be overwhelmed with the situation. But he had learned to depend upon the mercy of God. Which means he never lost sight of the bigger picture. You see, to lose heart is to become overwhelmed by the situation and, and believing that it can never change, that nothing good's going to come. And and sometimes we look at it and, you know, just such a bombardment of negativity and and bad things happening and things not working out. It's human nature. Everybody who lives life at any point is going to have breaking points where they're going to say, you know what, that's enough. And you're even going to look up at God and say, God, how much more? I mean, you can read the Psalms over and over and they say, how long? Oh, God. It's human nature, and it's okay. But we can't allow it to take our eyes off of the bigger picture because it is the bigger picture that maintains hope in our heart. So back to the illustration of the glass half full, half empty, the bigger picture is the glass is half full or half empty. Okay, that's fine how I consider that, but the bigger picture is I need water, and I've got a faucet over there that I can go turn it on and have more anytime I want. So I'm not going to worry about whether this glass is half full or half empty. Now, how does that translate into our spiritual world? Think of it like this. God, Jesus, told us that upon the rock of the confession of Christ, when Peter said, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the the Son of the living God, And he says, you're Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. The confession of Christ is where we build the church. And he said what? He said the gates of hell will not overcome it. Jesus himself said you aren't in the long run. We will win. When he says the gates of hell cannot overcome it, he's saying you can't lose. There is nothing satan can do to stop the advancement of the gospel in this world nothing he can't stop it now when we make the gospel about something less when we make church about something less and we make it about being a you know a moral person we make it moralistic or we make it uh, about being entertained or we become consumers that stuff can be stopped and we can get discouraged when we make it about personal improvement or personal comfort, when we make the gospel about anything other than proclaiming the risen Christ and man's need for salvation, when we make it about something less, then yes, that can be stopped, and we can be confused in a moment and say, God, what happened? And God says, well, that's not what I called you to do. Now, it's amazing, and, and, and you know, wonderful things happen with the spread of the gospel. And and we have an amazing, you know, room right here that is comfortable, and and I'm grateful to God that we have it and we can gather like this. And, And even with broken microphones and everything, you know, we still get to worship in a comfort that so much of the world doesn't get. But if all of that was gone tomorrow, this building's gone, all the technology is gone, you know what we would still do next week? We're still going to gather somewhere. And we're still going to worship. It may be in a field, but we'll still gather. Because Satan can't stop the true worship of God. And if we understand what it's about, we won't allow anything to stop us from engaging in it either. Because we know it's about the mercy of God, that God has given us everything we need for this, And so Paul says that. He goes, We have this ministry by the mercy of God. We don't lose heart. We don't give up. And in fact, in Galatians 6 9, he put it this way He says, And let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Now, there's a promise in that. And there's a command. What is the command? Don't grow weary in doing good. Walk with God even when it's difficult. Paul said things to Timothy like preach the gospel in season and out of season. He understood there are going to be moments that the people around you aren't going to want to hear the truth. He understood there are going to be seasons where it's going to be difficult. It's going to feel out of season like you're trying to grow something, you know, in the dead of winter and it's just not happening. What did he say? So preach the gospel anyway because Satan can't stop that. Focus on what matters. And so the command is don't grow weary in doing the things God tells you to do, in doing what is good, because everything God tells you to do is good. Amen? Everything he tells us to do is good. So when he says don't grow weary in doing good, he's saying don't grow weary in serving God, in doing things that are good. And then there's the promise that what? In due season we will reap if we do not give up. God has everything ordered for its time. And if we just continue to work and we continue to work and we continue to work and do the things God tells us to do, eventually something breaks, something gives, something happens. Eventually. Do we know when that season is? No, we don't get to determine that season. But God does. But Paul understood it, and he says, "In due season, at the right time, it's going to happen." Now, again, don't get you know health and wealth gospel in your mind of oh, I'm going to be rich. And you know, we're talking about eternal truth. We're talking about the things of, of God that are going to last after Judgment Day. So, don't set your hope on things in this world. Set your hope on the gospel bearing fruit. But there is a warning at the end of this that that really, this is what gets us. He says, you know, don't grow weary in doing good for in due season we will reap. What does he say after that? Say it with me. If we do not give up, we can miss our own harvest because we gave up. Now I hope that that, I mean, let that set in. Did you want to serve for 30 years and give up in year 31 when year 32 was going to be it. And you look in the Old Testament, and you see the same thing over and over and over that if they'd just gone a little further, just go a little longer, God had blessings planned for them. And over and over, what did they do in the Old Testament? They would give up. And they would rob themselves of the blessing. God had planned. Now, Paul understood this, and that's why he said, don't grow weary in doing good. It's going to work out if, and that is a huge if in Scripture, isn't it, if we don't give up. And losing heart is when we give up. It's when we just throw our hands up in the air and say, you know what, never mind. And there's something very powerful uh, about that in, in human nature. So long as we have a bigger picture view and we believe that our suffering, that our efforts are going somewhere, we can endure a lot. But the instant we lose sight of where it's going or we lose hope in that sense, we'll start living just in the present. And this was witnessed by a man named Viktor Frankl in a book called Man's Search for Meaning. Viktor Frankl survived a Nazi concentration camp. And he was there for a long time. And he was a psychologist, and so he was, he was kind of doing study while he was you know, going through that. And he would watch people. And he could always tell. He, he came to a point where he could tell when somebody was about to die. Because they lost hope. They would start living for the moment. And whatever treasure they had hidden, whether it was a cigarette, whether it was some food, whatever they had hidden for themselves, they would then dive into it, enjoy it, have a moment of pleasure, and die. And he saw this over and over and over. You see, there's something deep inside of us that needs to know what we're doing matters. Well, let me tell you something kingdom of God, it's all that matters. One day, everything that we see is going to go away. Everything that that, that we think is important in this world is going to disappear. It's not going to matter. But what is going to matter is what is of eternal value, what is taught to us in Scripture. The kingdom of God is what matters. Your faith in Jesus Christ is what will sustain you. And we see we'll reap a harvest if we don't give up. Now, maybe that harvest is heaven. And I hope that doesn't discourage you because, you know, if an entire lifetime is served serving God and you don't see the harvest, then I'm going to guess that's going to be a pretty amazing harvest up there when God says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your reward. Here it is. I've been saving it for you. You've been building on it. And now I want you to see everything that I've been doing. And it will be worth it. And so what do we have to do? We have to trust in the power of God. This isn't on us. This isn't about us. This isn't about our ability or or our need to to inject ourselves into it or get credit, okay? Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians four two. He says, But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. You see, what he is telling us in this, is that in his work for the kingdom of God, he refuses to participate in manipulating people, in tricking people into, you know, trying to trick them into believing the gospel. What some would say today is candy coating it so that it's a little more palatable. Now, he's not belligerent on the other end either. He doesn't use the gospel as a weapon to go after people. What does he say? He says the plain spoken truth. He tells people the gospel of Jesus Christ. He shares with them the good news, and he refuses to try to manipulate them into believing it. He doesn't twist God's word so that a person can maybe hold on to their sin and still believe in Jesus and and all of this. He, He tells them the truth. And within that, he relies on God's power and God's power alone to transform people. You see, sometimes I think we, and especially I can say we, and i'll say we as as preachers, pastors like my my field, sometimes I think we believe God needs our help you know if i just if I just tell people to repent and believe that Jesus Christ died for their sins, and if you do, you'll be saved and you'll spend eternity in heaven, we think maybe that's not enough, I need to convince them more, and I need to do certain things to make sure that they You know, I I make it seem better than it is, which I don't know how I improve on the gospel because we can't. Or or maybe we we make it seeker-sensitive so we take out all of the offensive parts that talk about repentance and we only talk about God's love. You see, this happens so much. I actually was told one time by somebody who had been in ministry for 30-plus years, verbatim, that we could not assume the Holy Spirit would bridge the truth of the Word of God to people's hearts. So it was up to us to make sure we do it. I was told that once. We could not assume the Holy Spirit would bridge the truth to somebody's heart. That's what the Spirit does. And so this person told me that that's why he kept Kleenex boxes underneath the chairs because by the end of the sermon, if people weren't crying, he hadn't done his job. He straight told me he manipulated people, tugged on their emotions. And he says, without that, life change won't happen. Now, you know what? I disagreed then. I disagree now. We trust in the power of God to do what only God can do, and only God can change a human heart. So, the good news there, that's off of you. When I ask you to share Jesus with people, I'm not asking you to change them. I'm not asking you to save them. Only God can do that. You know what I am asking you to do? Share the good news with them tell them about Jesus, and trust that the Holy Spirit can bridge the truth of the Word of God to their heart. Because that's what the Holy Spirit does. And I think sometimes that's where we give up. We live our lives for Jesus. We go to church. We worship. We, we, we even make God the center of our home. What is that? Those are all good works. Those are good things that God has called us to do. But we don't see the harvest because we give up at the point of telling other people about Jesus. We give up there. And we think, well, I'm not qualified to do this. Or I don't want to do it. Or I'm afraid to do it. Or what if I get it wrong? I, I don't. There's a million excuses that we can come up with for not telling people about Jesus and not sharing the gospel. But I think that that is where we miss a harvest in life many times because we refuse to take that last step into being a witness for Jesus and becoming a disciple maker in life. And we're called to do it. And so we, rather than taking that step, we revert and regress to worldly means to do it. Well, maybe if we add a smoke machine to worship and we make it like a concert, more people will come and they'll hear the pastor tell them about Jesus and and that that will be better. But you know what? Worldly means means getting worldly results. We have to trust God and we have to trust in the power of God that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough. That we walk by faith, that we preach faith, that we worship in faith, that we live by faith, and our lives reflect the truth of the gospel and our words tell people the truth of the gospel. Knowing that in that process, we're going to run up against people who refuse to believe it. There are too many people that I've talked to in life that when they start talking about sharing Jesus, they start talking about sharing the light of hope with other people. You know, they got shut down once by somebody that was rude to them. And they're like, well, I'm not doing that again. Well, What did you expect to happen? You're taking light into darkness. You know, everybody in the world is not going to be saved. What did Jesus say? He says, you go in somewhere and they won't listen to you. They won't accept your message. What do he say? He says, shake the dust off your feet and move on. If they do receive you, stay there and talk to them about it. Now, this isn't, you know, rocket science. If they'll listen to you, talk to them. If they reject you, move on. Because he already has told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 1.18, he said the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Foolishness. So you just got to be ready. Like there are going to be people who are so adamantly going to disagree with the gospel when you share it with them that they're going to treat you like you're a moron. They're going to call you names. They're going to reject it. And we say, okay, well, you know, God loves you and I just wanted you to know about Jesus. And then they're going to look at you and go, that was weird. But you'll know. And we move on. Because for all of the people that are going to think that the gospel is foolishness, there are going to be people who are willing to listen to it. And that's what we're here for. You know, think about Jesus. He he spoke to huge Thousands and thousands of people. How many actually believe? Very few. Did it keep him from speaking? No. He just knew. He knew. He knew most of these people out here, they won't care. Come tomorrow, they're not going to care anything that I said. But why did he say it? Because those who do care, guess what? They changed the world. They listened to God and they followed him and it worked. And so Satan doesn't want us to see the bigger picture of God's kingdom. He doesn't want to see us as being engaged in the great work, the the, the greatest work that will ever take place in this world. He wants us to see just right now, just our circumstances, just that last rejection, just the difficulty. He doesn't want you to see the promise. And that promise is the gates of hell will not overcome it. And so we can look and say, okay, all of history has proven the gates of hell aren't overcoming it. So this is our turn. This is our turn to get to push back against the gates of hell and tell them, no, God is superior. God wins. Now, does that mean the ride's going to probably get bumpy at that point? Oh, absolutely. You know, it didn't say the gates of hell were going to stand down in that moment and just give up. It just said they're not going to win. We're going to have the battle. And it's up to us to engage that battle and to engage it all the way through to the end so that we don't give up and lose the harvest. In 1 Corinthians two two, how we do that is Paul said, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. See Paul refused. That's when he says I have renounced underhanded you know twisting scripture all of the I, he says I could argue with you and win the argument but I'm not using that method. I won't be underhanded. I'm not going to twist scripture. I'm not going to resort to trickery in sharing the gospel. I'm going to tell you about it plainly and trust God's power and he let everything else go. And that was his first trip to Corinth when he said, "Look, you saw that I took care of myself. I didn't do any I all I did was tell you about Jesus. I didn't brag about myself. I, I didn't do any of this other stuff that these other people were doing. So remember, Paul's defending himself against false apostles who have come in and are telling people they shouldn't listen to him. And so he's telling them, judge for yourself. All I did was tell you about Jesus. That's it. I resolved to know nothing else. I didn't get involved in anything else. I just let you know about the gospel of Jesus Christ and how to walk and that's what we got to do. Don't let Satan distract you. Don't let him take you to secondary, lesser things. What we have to do is shine the light of Jesus. And this is where Paul's language really becomes elevated. It's amazing. His language becomes so elevated in this passage at this point. Listen in 2 Corinthians 4 4 and 4 6. He talks about the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. He says, you're going to tell them about Jesus. Guess what? They're going to hear about God because Jesus is the expression of God. You want to know God? Look to Jesus. You don't know what God would say in a certain situation? Look to what Jesus said. You want to know how God thinks? Listen to the words of Jesus. You want to know how God would act? Look at Jesus. He is the image of God. Everything you want to know about God, you will learn through Jesus Christ. He is the very image of God. And then in 4.6, he says, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God where is the glory of God located? In the face of Jesus Christ. It's like Paul takes this moment, he just erupts in praise suddenly because he, 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 this is what he's excited about. He says we don't lose heart because, because of the mercy of God. And, and yeah, people are veiled to the truth, but it's because the word of the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing, so don't worry about that. Because what matters is that you see the glory of God in Jesus that you see who he is. And so he uses this divine language on purpose that everything we we do should elevate the status of Jesus in our own lives, in the lives of people around us. It should elevate him to the point of God on the throne and that that is what matters the most. Because there's, in the end, nothing else will matter. You see, when, when Jesus was asked what the work of God, what is it that God wants us to really do? Because in the Jewish community, people would rank commandments. Like they thought, you know, what's the most important, what's the least important, this kind of stuff, so I can make sure I get the really good stuff in. And so they asked Jesus, what is the work of God? What does he really want from us? And Jesus answered with this, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent You want to please God? Follow Jesus. You want to know God? Know Jesus. You want to serve God? Serve Jesus. You want to please God? Believe Jesus. That's it. You want to please God? Believe Jesus and believe what Jesus believed. That's the work of God. That's what God wants in this world and everyone. And that is where we find hope. That is where we find that bigger picture that we're able then to latch onto and say, you know what? It doesn't matter how difficult it is right now because what's coming in eternity is so going to eclipse this that this doesn't matter. I'm serving God no matter what. I'm staying with Jesus no matter what because that's what matters. That is the light of hope. To serve by the mercy of God to trust in the power of God, and to shine the light of Jesus to the world. Let's pray. Father God, we come to You again, and Lord, we come into Your presence grateful. God, that by Your mercy, we are able to gather like this. We are able to hear Your Word. God, by Your mercy, we're able to serve. By Your mercy, we are able to become the people You want us to be. By Your mercy, we can witness to you and become disciple makers. So, God, help us to take our eyes off of ourselves and to put them on your kingdom and on you. God, that we would seek to do what feels impossible for us so that you will get the glory. God, that we wouldn't limit what you can do because we're worried about our ability. God, that your kingdom would be glorified in every way. That it would grow here at Grace Family Fellowship because we engage in the ministries that you want us to engage in. Because we become the people you want us to become. So, Father, I pray where whatever is maybe tripping someone up, fear, doubt, burnout, God, I pray that you give us all just a, a fresh dose of excitement from your spirit. A fresh dose of truth, God, that opens our eyes to the bigger picture of what you want us to do, of what you're going to accomplish. God, that we wouldn't live our lives by half full or half empty, but God, that we would live our lives by the hope lead us to follow you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.